Hey friends, on Plain Spoken, one of the segments that I'm doing is just going through the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline for the Global Methodist Church with my buddy TJ, the producer here. And uh, we're back in the studio, and we're going through the next section. We have not been able to cover as much ground each episode as we originally hoped. And so it's kind of required that I've rethink what exactly I'm trying to do here. If the intent is just to get the whole thing read, then we need to go really fast. But I'm not sure that that would be good for everybody. I think most people are wanting to really give the GMC a shot uh, who are coming in, and that means that it's important to understand and be able to uh, explicate and live out what is detailed here. So we are about to read through the section on membership today. And I didn't get very far in preparation because it just became abundantly clear to me that we're going to have to belabor some of this. So before even getting into it, let's just check in with TJ, see how he's doing, and then I'm going to come back and set up why it's important to make space in your brain for this. So TJ, say howdy. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm just ready for this. Uh, I didn't realize this is the membership part, and I was looking through it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this yeah. is painful. Well, so, yeah, I was anticipating that, well, yeah, I guess I just took it for granted you wouldn't <laughs> enjoy it, but for people who are uh, spending time with us, it'll be very important to set this up right so that we can enjoy it. Now, with you, TJ, last week when we were talking, you agreed to be responsible for the constituency role, uh. which is sort of dorky like this. This gets much more dorky. So why is this important? We're, we're going to need to talk about this on the front end before we flesh out the details. Why is it important to care about membership records um, and to be diligent in this? Most pastors, and for that matter, the vast majority of laity, have no interest in record-keeping and being—I um, I use the word dorky, but, you know, persnickety, caring about details like this. So while I was thinking about this this morning, I was remembering that John Wesley, whenever he was uh, talking with clergy about what their role is, um, the quote is, you have nothing to do but save souls. And so for a lot of people, that means um, just preaching big sermons and, and moving people to a, a place of saying the sinner's prayer or whatever— but that's what George Whitfield did. And George Whitfield was a big evangel evangelical preacher in the Methodist movement, and he acknowledged at the end of his days that all the disciples he made were, quote, a rope of sand. They fell apart as soon as he left. The thing that was different between him and John Wesley, John Wesley wasn't the most amazing preacher, but he put people in connection with each other. He put them in classes and bands, accountable discipleship groups. He created the methodical structure for mutual accountability and vulnerability. And because he did that, the disciples that he made held together and grew over time. So at the end, Whitfield acknowledged the detail-oriented approach, the methodical approach is needed for making long-standing disciples. So that's one of the things, you know, right now we're in a, a, a period where we're trying to figure out what does it mean to say we're Methodist? And when we're global Methodist, what does that mean? And what, what I think this section is telling us, okay, so either it's telling us we just put a bunch of words down because we wanted to look professional, but we don't really expect people to do it. And so, you know, if, if you saw the last one, we're going through and going, well, I wonder how many people are going to do this. With this one as well, we're going to go through and wonder how many clergy are going to do what it says you have to do in here, how many churches are going to maintain this structure. What we saw in the United Methodist Church was that 
the vast majority of churches did not maintain membership standards anywhere close to what the Book of Discipline said, and for that reason, it was a real mess when they had to call the general membership vote to disaffiliate. So one of the, the open questions right now is, is the Global Methodist Church going to become much more free-spirited and, and less married to procedure and structure, or are we going to reclaim part of our spiritual heritage and caring about the structure, knowing that if our job is to save souls, then the care of souls is absolutely essential. So when we're talking about the care of souls, yeah, part of that is pastoral visitation, good preaching and all this, but sometimes it's putting their name down on paper and putting them in groups that, uh, you know, here's the attention that this person needs, Here are the here's where these people are. We got constituents, we got members, we got um, people of different ages, nations, and races. Are we supposed to keep track of these people, and is that a sign of care, or is it a sign of control and formality? You know, this is this is what a lot of people, if you go through this, there's going to be a lot of people who buck this and go, mm, that's not what church is about for me. And what I would submit to you is that for a lot of people, the way that they've learned to do church is um, <laughs> it doesn't lead to growth. It uh, It doesn't lead to to sustainability. Generally, what you find in the American church today is a bunch of, a few churches that get really big, and then they collapse after 30 years, and then a bunch of churches that slowly die. And we want churches that slowly grow, or even quickly grow, and then you got to create the structure for that. It's it's fictitious to imagine that you're going to grow and maintain anything if you don't have the structure for it. So that's that's kind of my argumentative setup for this we're going to encounter a system here that is very formal in how it cares for souls, how pastors and lay leadership are expected to keep track of one another. Um, okay, that's a lot of talking. TJ, uh, any anything on the front end before we get into the particulars that you want to say? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to have to go into like super detail on this one like we did on the last one or the last couple. Yeah. It's going to be like, okay, you keep records. Here's how you keep records. We started so. very broad with doctrine, social principles, now we're getting much more particular. And all of this, I've said before, is undergirded by theology, uh, ecclesiology in particular, how we do the local church. That's that's what this is. Last week, if you didn't see that one, we were talking about membership expectations, which got pretty particular on the specific things that each member should be expected to do and how pastors are supposed to care for each member. Now we're getting into the system of what are we supposed to keep track of with respect to members? So we're in paragraph 329. This is section 5 in the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline on page 31. We'll read through a section and talk about it. This section is entitled, paragraph is membership records. Point 1. Active membership role. Each local church shall accurately maintain a permanent membership record for each baptized or professing member, including A, the person's name, date of birth, address, place of birth, date of baptism, officiating pastor, and sponsors. B, date of confirmation or profession of faith, officiating pastor, and sponsors. C, if transferred from another church, if they transferred from another church, date of reception, the name of the sending church, and the receiving pastor. D, if transferred to another church, 
date of that transfer, the name of the receiving church, the address of the receiving church, oops, and E, date of removal or withdrawal and reason. And then F, date of restoration of professing membership and officiating pastor, and G, date of death, date and place of funeral slash memorial, and place of burial and officiating pastor. That's a lot of information. A lot of good information. So why do you say it's good? Um, well, so I'm looking at it from like a, uh, I enjoy genealogy. Okay. Um, that is a great resource if you're doing like family history stuff. I would love to have stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I just like records in general. So it's great information to have. Well, okay, lecture me and the, the audience a bit longer about why genealogy and record keeping is important. Do you have a sense of connecting that theologically or just how it is that we build the society that we want to be a part of? Any any reason other than I think it's cool. <laughs> is there a theological aspect to it? I, I, I don't know. If, if there is, I'm not connecting it in my brain. Um, so in your brain, is it just like, I really enjoy it. This is, this I just is cool like and I'm a nerd. Yeah, that's basically what it is. It's uh, <laughs> it's not very deep. It's, it's pretty okay. basic. Okay, so the theological yeah, groundwork me, I laid tell up. Me theological uh, here, let's Let me see if I can't connect it and okay. see if, if it sounds like hogwash to you. But if our job as the church is care of souls, then knowing things about people is pretty important if you're going to claim to love them or care for them. So I preach about this all the time on the pulpit. How can you say you love Jesus if you don't know anything about him or his word? That makes no sense. How sure. can I say yeah. I love my wife if I don't know who she's related to, if I don't know her birthday, if I don't know what her favorite food is, if I don't know, uh, I don't know, her favorite... I mean, there's so many things I know about my wife because I love her. And so when you love somebody, you want to know things about them because that's what makes them different and unique. And so when we are caring for one another in the church, it's, it is partly, I love you because Christ is in you and I love Christ, but it's also, I love you. You're different from me. You were born in a different place. You were baptized in a different place. Your walk with Jesus has been different than me. So the way I show love for you and other people in the church is to know their stories. And the story is much more than these things, but these are just basic things for crafting out, uh, delineating how they've, who they've been in the world, how they've moved through the space, and how they find themselves in this space right now. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if, if I don't know somebody's uh, pastor who transferred them from the, the the address of the church they transferred from. I don't know if that means I hate you because I don't know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, information in general about somebody is good to know, but what information if is it that do you need all that? I don't know. So, okay, in the early church, people couldn't just walk into a worship service and say, "I'm a Christian from Antioch and I'm in Rome and I belong here." You couldn't just walk in. You had to have somebody vouch for you. You had to have a letter of recommendation from the bishop where you came from because the bishop where you're going would know them and say, "Okay, I know this guy's seal. I know I'm in good connection with him, so this guy is a legit Christian. You can let him worship in your fellowship. If you didn't come with someone vouching for you, you you couldn't get in because once upon a time it meant something to say you were a Christian. Sure. Yeah. So I I would choose. To, I don't know if I mean I, I'm sure that they just adopted the United Methodist system and did didn't think anything of Probably. it really. They just said this is what a professional membership situation looks like. But what I would say is 
it should mean something who baptized you, who was your pastor that you came from, who has instructed you in the Christian faith. Those should be intimate details that tell somebody, hey, Jeffrey Rickman instructed you? Okay, so that means you very much value discipline and sanctification. That's what it should mean. That's not what it means currently. So what this could be, and audience, what I'm going to invite you to consider is this could be reclaiming a system of membership that actually means something rather than just checking off boxes and filling out forms. This actually represents real people and where they are in their walk with God. So the problem is a lot of people will mock it and say, a lot of people think that just because their name's on the membership roll, they're going to heaven. And we got to roundly rebuke that your name being on the membership roll does not, I mean, St. Peter, we don't submit this up to him at the entry, (laughs) the pearly gates, and he goes, oh, TJ, I see your name on here. Come on in. That's not how it works. But whenever there's someone in faithful covenant relationship with the church, the question is, are you going to let them just come and go as they please and do things on their own terms? Or are you going to try and fit everybody into an understanding of what it means to be a member? So that's what the previous section was about. What does it mean to be a member? Now, well, and I should go back. You remember last week it talked about how your church can have a membership system where you renew your membership every year, and people who don't renew it eventually get removed? Mm -hmm. I like that plan, because that guarantees that. that membership means something. Right. What's happened in the vast bulk of United Methodist churches, what I'm afraid is going to happen in the global Methodist church is that membership's not going to mean anything. It's just going to mean, this is my place. This is where I belong. Rather than, I'm in a covenant with these people. Here's what they can count on for me. Here's what I know I can count on for them. If we're going to do membership, it should mean something. Yeah, it shouldn't look like those, uh, when we were looking at those certain churches and it showed membership levels like way up here and then attending members like way down here. That's sad. Like that makes me look sad. And when that just becomes normal, then that is a a sign of just a bloated, uh, sclerotic, meaningless group. You know, you might as well just quit doing membership at that point because what are you doing? You know, the membership record should be. Here's all the people that everybody knows each other, everybody is engaged and active, everybody is committed, everybody's giving to the So, yeah, we adopted in the GMC the exact same standards, prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. Everybody in the church should be contributing in all five ways. And if they're not, they shouldn't be a member. So, and this is, this is something, I mean, I'm interfering with other people's ministry here at some point, but if you're a global Methodist laity, layperson, and you are not contributing in these five ways, then you shouldn't be a member. You should just be a constituent. You can affiliate with that body, but what's the point of saying you're a member if you're not giving in those five things? Was that too harsh? I don't think so, but I'm mean, so. But you're mean, okay. Well, you know, people watch this. I guess they need some some hard hard wisdom. I don't know. Um, Okay, so there are specific things that it's... uh, I, I wanted to go ahead and show... My records, because a lot of people don't know what this looks like, they make printed books for you to do this. Um, I don't know who they is. I'm not going to buy something that I can There's do myself. There's tons of them. I mean, how many different membership books have we got? Like, well, yeah, we had to give we had to give them to the Oklahoma Annual Conference right. when we left, which was heartbreaking. But we had Copies taken the time to copy them into our records. So what you should see on my screen is a spreadsheet that we put together. We've got our professing members on a tab down there. I'm not going to show that to you because it has contact information on there. 
Um, this is our historic professing membership. We went through all of our membership over time, and uh, you'll see that we uh, had a numbering system that we never got in order. We need to do that someday, TJ. Uh, yeah, no, got their last name, their first name, email address, and that's blank because all these people died before email in this section. Phone number, when they joined the membership, and how. So CT would be a certificate of transfer from another church. What church did they transfer from over here? PF is profession of faith. I think that's what that is. Uh, OD is another denomination, so CT is from another United Methodist Church. Um, there are different codes you have, and then when were they removed, and how did they transfer out? Did uh, removed at quarterly conference was RQC. So whenever you went through the membership audit process, after three years you took them off. OD is other denomination. D is they died, um, and then where they transferred to, and then any notes that you have on them. So there were some things stipulated that are not in that form. So we have an individual form for each uh, person. So here's one of the saints of this church, Bill Maddox. I knew him uh, before he died in, in 2017 on my birthday. I really like this guy. Handsome fella, local local lawyer, but we uh, this was how I chose to care for my members. And what I would... Um, advocate for you clergy is to consider being this particular with your people, learning their stories, taking good notes on them so that when they die, you can give them a good funeral and you're not learning basic things about them that you should have known all along, but you've already crafted um, their, their life story in a way that you can recount like you knew these people, you love these people. So uh, if you go down, you'll see I have not just family, but places lived, educational history. Now, the Book of Discipline didn't maintain, mandate this, but it did say uh, take some of these notes. And then I these are just the things that make sense to me pastorally. And if another pastor comes, I can hand this off to them and they can get to know the people in this way and ask what questions they want. I've got their employment history, their religious history, other organizations they belong to, got their particulars. This is where the the date and place and pastor of their baptism is, any sponsors. I, I didn't I took the sponsors off because he didn't have sponsors. Transfer information, where from and to who was pastor at the time, death, uh, date, location, burial location. And then, you know, in the bottom you can have pictures and uh, write their life story. His wife was a beloved member of this community as well. And this was just, I was really glad to have this over time. I'm really glad we have this printed off and put in a book that people can pick up in the church library and read about the saints of our church. If you're not doing something like this for your membership, it's it's my opinion you really should. Now, I haven't met any other churches that do this, but in my mind, if we really love and care for each other, then we should have something like this for one another. And the pushback against that is often people want to be private about it. They don't want their church family to know a lot of this stuff about them, in which case I want to I want to ask why, you know. If you don't love these if you don't want them to know that stuff about you then are you sure you're doing church right? Like, are you sure that the church means to you what it it should mean to you? So is that, I don't know, does that sound crazy, TJ? I don't think so. I can't. I mean, it's I, I, 
for historical purposes, I've gone through and, and looks at some of the stuff and it's, it's good. To, we were looking for a, a baptism date the other day and we didn't have those records. Like it was, we wouldn't have been able to find it for sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think they're cool. Yeah. Some people might be averse to having a, a file on them that's kept by the church, but there's not anything in there that's like bad. So yeah, I don't keep social security numbers. Yeah. That's not necessarily uh, pertinent for um, uh, ministry. Um, why don't you? We we can come back to some of this if you want to, but and why don't you read points two through seven? You're just you're using Google Docs, is that's that's what you're using to keep those records? There's, yeah, Google Docs is free. Yeah, there's other stuff you can pay for, but I don't know how well those actually work. And then you got to worry about like updates and. Well, and you got to worry about. Well, I guess you could worry about Google Steel and everything. Oh yeah, no, they've got all that information. Yeah, they've got all that information already. Sure, they know sure. your genetic sequence. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. I'm no. going to pretend pretend ignorance. I did the DNA test, and oh, they I'm got hoping. a hold of that. Yeah, they'll clone well, you as soon as they want to, well, TJ. That's that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, you can either you can either put things in writing or keep things in house and to not have it connected to the internet at all. Or you can just understand that we live in a world where we are all vulnerable yeah. and just learn to deal with that. So, I mean, those are easier to update than having them written down because, I mean, how often are you going to go back and actually like write something and update? Something? I mean, some people might. It, it's going to depend on the pastor, but it's just easier to update stuff like that. And then whenever they pass away, you can print it off and put it in the book like we've got. So, keep, I mean, I can't tell you how many times somebody has called the church and said, can you tell me when my relative was baptized right. or where they're buried or, you okay. know, and we have that and they're just so grateful, like, hey, thank you so much. And it's just a, a way of caring for people even after they die. You know, this Sunday is All Saints Day mm -hmm. and we have a lot of information on the people who've died. We're going to list 60 names in worship on Sunday, have their pictures we have a bell tree where we ring it in honor. Each each one has a bell that that we ring in honor of their life and death and and hopefully their resurrection. Um, yeah, I, I just made slides for that. And if I didn't have those those records, I wouldn't have been able to do that. It shows how how long they've been a member. It's got a picture of them. Um, yeah, we throw those up on the on the projector. So that's that's nice. And it's just it seems to me like so many churches are not that personal. In which case, yeah. like. Well, so I just uh, an example that I I can think of. Uh, I was looking for my grandfather's. Like he was a a, a Methodist in in Lawton, um, or down around there. I won't say the specific place. Um, a smaller church, but their records. They, they're like I I called them, tried to get a, inf information from them, and they're like, oh, we sent them off to whoever. Didn't have anything. Didn't know anything about them. Like mm. nothing. No no records at all. And I'm like, that's it's kind of annoying, but. If if you're not if you're a pastor who's just you're, there's no way you're going to do this I would I would urge you to consider finding a lay person in your church that might be willing and able to do this if you are a lay person in your church and your church doesn't do this I would urge you to to pray about caring for your brothers and sisters in Christ this way if it's done right it can be something that adds a lot of intimacy in the body of Christ which is really great so. All right, um, TJ, would you read verses two, not verses, points two through seven, and then we'll talk through that remaining bit. 
Okay, so two inactive membership role. These are the different kinds of membership records um, other than the active membership role. So two, you need an inactive membership role. Three, a constituency role. Four is affiliate membership role. Five, associate membership role. And then uh, let's let's stop there, I guess. Do we, uh, is there anything crazy about those that we need to uh, talk about? Well, um, we already talked about the constituency role and you signed up for that and you can't welch now. <laughs> so, um, and then... Um, inactive members, obviously, that's if you don't have active members, they're inactive, whether they're dead or for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, it's just nowadays data online is so cheap. It's, there's just no good reason to throw that stuff away. So right. hold on to it. Um, okay, what's the, the, the difference? Remind me of the difference between constituency and affiliate membership. So affiliate and associate are both people who've moved away, can't participate in life and work of the church, want to maintain a relationship with the church while they're also a member of another church where they are. That's affiliate? And associate. And associate. So I, I, want, I, I want to say one is if you stay in the GMC and one is if you're in another denomination. Yeah, we went over this last week. Go back we and did, watch that video. We did, and I've already forgotten. Yeah. I just don't care, and I should. Um, okay, then, so nothing to say about... No, I don't think so. Okay, so let's go to six. Go ahead. Okay, point six. In the case of a union or federated church with another denomination... The governing body of such a church may report an equal share of the total members to each judiciary, and such membership shall be published in the minutes of each church with a note to the effect that the report is of a union or federated church and with an indication of the total actual membership. I don't know what any of that means. I think it's saying, okay, with a, an affiliated church, a federated church, that it's a global Methodist church, and it's affiliated with another denomination. So it's just saying we share records. I think that's all it's saying is we maintain membership records, and then we can share those records with whatever other denomination it's combined with. Okay, so if the GMC says, hey, we like your denomination, we want to be associated with you, mm -hmm. associate with us. Yeah. And once we're associated, we can share membership records for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. Okay. So hypothetically, I mean, what I would love is if this was like a GMC slash, um, uh, oh, uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod slash Anglican Church of North America, ACNA, you know, there, there are lots of wonderful traditions that like, if we could just have our toes in each of them and acknowledge within all these different, that would be wonderful. And then we could just share our information with all of them, it's not going to happen. Uh, ACNA doesn't want us. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think of like the reason that would be necessary. Well, so like if somebody asks for the information on the, a dead member or something, or like that, like if they're transferring membership, we're going to give them the information, are we not? Well, so like we report statistical information on our church to the GMC every year, so they keep track of like. How many churches are growing and shrinking, and are we engaging local Native American or African American populations, or how much money are we bringing in or sending to missions? There are a lot of things we track, and then if, if a church is going to be part of a denomination, they are going to want that information. So it'd be weird if we were belonging to another denomination as well, and we were saying, we're not going to tell you that information. You just should be glad to have us. We don't have permission to share our information with you. It's saying, 
No, no, no. You can share that information with another body if you represent them as well. I think that's all that's saying. Interesting. Okay. And that's what the next one is concerned with, 2.7 is, uh, is also concerned with sharing information. All baptism, membership, marriage, and funeral records are the property of the local church and cannot be sold. If the church is discontinued, these records are placed in the care of the annual conference. So I don't that know that... That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense that a lot of bodies would want to purchase that information about, I mean, I wonder how many churches have sold this kind of information to corporations that would otherwise capitalize on it. I don't know. It'd be interesting to, to know. I want to know who's selling my information. We're not selling my information, are we? No, okay. no, no. I mean, I, we can't because it's in the transitional book of doctrine. They, well, I don't even know if they've accepted us yet. Have they accepted us? We got accepted. We got accepted this week. We got the, oh. the email with the letter from Keith Boyette. <laughs> Do we get a fancy like thing we can print out and put on the wall? I'm I'm absolutely sure we could. Uh, but they didn't mail us one. What are you doing, GMC? Get get it together. I want a fancy plaque that says, "Hey, <laughs> we're GMC Church now." Like you got one whenever you got a you got your uh, ordination. Why can't we get one as a church? I I'm sure we can print it out. And make it look really fancy. I want them to do all the work. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah I heard you say that. It's just, um, uh, yeah, okay. Petition submitted <laughs> online officially to the GMC. That is what TJ wants. I want a stamp and everything. A stamp. You're talking, well, what did they call that? Where It's a seal. You want a seal and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, 330. Okay, paragraph 330. Annual membership report and audit. Why don't you do this one? The pastor shall report to the charge conference annually the names of the persons received into the membership of the church or churches of the pastoral charge and the names of persons removed since the last charge conference, indicating how each was received or removed. The church shall be encouraged to audit the memberships and membership records annually. Mm-hmm. Shall be encouraged. Yeah, it. you picked on that word. That yeah. word is also used in the next paragraph. So what yeah. does that word encouraged mean to you? Um, well, you guys should do it. But if you get too busy, you know, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it, it conveys optionality. Yeah. It's an option. So right. you're encouraged to, but there there isn't really any consequence if you don't, in yeah. which case. You turn into the UMC and you've got, like, jacked up uh, membership numbers and your attendance is a quarter of of that mm-hmm. so yeah this is where things can fall apart because they could have taken a hard line and said we're going to have good membership records now but it's hard and we talked about this last week if you can easily leave the global methodist church or they can easily boot you out if you're a church that's not in compliance then it's just really hard to figure out okay why is if it so you, important you make people do too many things like they might leave well there's that but there's also just like um, quality control was important whenever everybody was really stuck together. We're held more loosely together now. So, you know, churches that want to do quality control, that's great. Good for them. But churches that don't, you know, if it gets too nutty, we can just boot them out. Or if they just hate us, they can just leave. But there's not this pressure to have a uniform standard everybody has to meet. So, but yeah, I think you're also right. If, if you start with a high, hard standard... How many churches are going to want to stick with you? How many people have joined the GMC saying, I want something 
more structured and strict than the United Methodist Church. You know, most people want something yeah. looser, and they just want to maintain the doctrine better than the UMC. Yeah. All right. Paragraph 331, annual report of members attending colleges and universities. The pastor is encouraged to report annually the names and contact information for professing and baptized members attending colleges and universities to the chaplain or campus minister of such institutions where the church's ministries exist. So whenever a member of the church you know, has been brought in as, as a young person, gone through confirmation, or maybe joined as a late teenager, can uh, profess a Christian faith, they go off to college then it's my job as pastor to figure out who the chaplain is at the college they went to, Global Methodist chaplain, and send them the name and contact information of that member. Okay, that makes sense. If there's a Global Methodist chaplain there. This is not talking about like some random other chaplain, right? This is specifically GMC and those associated with the GMC right. chaplains. Okay. Yeah, sure. yeah. so what, what we're going to see in the next few paragraphs is brand loyalty. We're not, we're not just pushing people to any church. Uh, we're pushing people towards global Methodist churches whenever they're out and about. I think that's, I mean, I think that's fair. Like, because they're, I mean, GMC churches are going to be more apt to stay to the standard that you want them to and not just, I mean, you could go to some non-denominational and they teach who knows what. So why would you push them to that? Well, and this this is language. I don't know how how closely the language maps onto the UMC, but this was stuff that was ex explicit in the United Methodist churches as well. We ride the brand. When you go to a new place, there is a United Methodist structure. We expect you to plug them into. But the problem with the UMC was there wasn't quality control. Right. So I might get them used to one standard, one uh, biblical way of life, and then if I connect them with the another another United Methodist pastor or chaplain. They might undo everything that I've done. So the whole purpose right. got reversed, you know, or inverted or perverted. And so this really depends on the GMC maintaining uh, a sense of doctrinal uniformity. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see, see yeah. what happens. Yeah, okay. All right, next section. Section six. Yep. Changes in the term church membership or local church membership. We're still on membership. Yes, we are. I think we will be for a while, except I didn't look very far ahead. So why don't you do the first paragraph here? Okay, 332, members who move. If a member of a local church shall move to another community so far removed from the home church that the member cannot participate regularly in worship and activity, this member shall be encouraged to transfer membership to a global Methodist church in the community of a newly established residence. As soon as the pastor is reliably informed of this change of residence, actual or contemplated, it shall be the pastor's duty and obligation to assist the member to become established in the fellowship of a church in the community of the future home and to send a global Methodist pastor and to send a global Methodist pastor in such a community, or the presiding elder, district superintendent, a letter of notification giving the la latest known address of the person or persons concerned and requesting local pastoral oversight. Very detailed, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, we stop there. We keep going. Well, anything that okay, no, that? go ahead, go ahead. And um, we'll, we'll cover everything else after that. Okay. 
When a pastor discovers a member of the denomination residing in the community whose membership is in a church so far removed from the place of residence that the member cannot participate regularly in its worship and activity, it shall be the duty and obligation of the pastor to give pastoral oversight to such a person. Adding the name to the constituency role, paragraph 2 or 325, and encourage transfer of membership to a global Methodist church in the community where the member resides. It's a lot. It uh, is. Basically, just if they're moving, put them in a GMC church. Try to. Yeah. But it's 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 even stronger than that. It's if somebody if a GMC person moves to your area and you know about it, you are responsible for ministering to them. Yeah, that one doesn't like suggest that it's to their obligation. Oh yeah, that's that's stronger language. Yeah. So uh, so a lot of people will listen to this and I'm an American. You don't tell me what to do. Why why do I you know, what if they don't want that? What if, you know, so what, if we're trying to make this valid, what is the justification for this aggressive approach of, if they're GMC, they're in your flock, you insert yourself into their lives, you push them to join the church membership, why, how can this be justified? Well, I guess it depends on how aggressive you have to be as a pastor. Like, can you, if somebody moves into your town and you're a GMC pastor and they're a GMC member and you haven't got contacted or you're contacted by their previous church and they haven't re- came, came to church, I mean, you would want to reach out to them and say, hey, you're a, you're a member. Why aren't you showing up? Like, that's that's different. Like, hey, see, you're a member. Here's our church. You want to learn more about our church? Come to our church. Yeah. Like, depends. So you don't have to be aggressive about it. But, I mean, I, I think it's weird that if you know about it, you would just like, ah, they'll show up whenever, maybe. Eh, and you're like a month in after knowing and they haven't showed up and you're doing nothing. That just seems weird. That's your job. Like, So my, my thing is the theology of, is the church a beggarly body or is the church representing a sovereign God? Well, so, I think there's a difference between being like beggarly and just saying something to them. If you were like begging them to come to church and like constantly just badgering them about, hey, show up to church. Hey, can you show up to church? Well, like that that's a little excessive. Like I don't I don't think that's necessary. But if you're just reaching out to them once, maybe if they and if after that they don't show up for say four weeks and then you reach out to them again, like I think twice and then like I think that's enough. So west of here about twenty miles is a city named Bartlesville. Sure. On the highway between here and there, if you're heading to Nowata, there's a sign for a Baptist church. I forget the name of the Baptist church, but it says, Visitors welcome, members expected. Have you taken note of that? No. What is, which church is this? I, I guess I haven't seen this. <laughs> you're <not. laughs> well, you're this not. This is on the way to Bartlesville. No, this is from Bartlesville to here. You uh, would have seen it every time you drove to work. Yeah, you were no, just it's weird not that paying I haven't attention. seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. How, how does that them. strike you? Oh, you like it? Yeah. If you're a member, if, if you if you go through the trouble of becoming a member and then you just decide to not show up, that's just weird to me. Like it's one thing if you've got something like some kind of uh, a medical issue or some kind of like really serious justifiable issue that you're not showing up. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But if you're just like – I want to sleep in today. Like, I want to sleep in every Sunday. It's like, but I still show up to church. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's just weird to me. Like, don't become a member then. Yeah, TJ's a member of the church, but he has a nighttime job at the Walmart Distribution Center. If you want to stalk him, that's where you can find him. 
And um, <laughs> sorry, dude. <laughs> but I mean, he's he's coming home at like three, four in the morning, and then he gets a couple hours of sleep, and then wakes back up and comes. Yeah, this to last Sunday, here. I got home at three o'clock, and then I got to sleep at like three thirty in the morning. Yeah, and then yeah. we've got church at eleven. So that's and then you know, I've got to turn around and go back to work at three o'clock. Yeah, leave here at two. So it's yeah, Sundays are rough. So for some people, they would hear that and go, "Oh man, that's crazy." You know, TJ's super committed, and what you and I would say is, "Look, if." If you're a member, like that's a basic commitment is being there. And if it hurts your sleep schedule, yeah, it's worth it. You know, so if if it's not worth compromising your sleep schedule, your budget, how you do your relationships, then how much does it really mean to you? I mean, that's kind of what we're getting at. But that that sign that I got to is members expected the posture of a church, in my opinion, should be entitlement to the members. If somebody has said I am a. I want to be a member. I've taken these vows. This is who I'm going to be to this local church and to the connection connectional body that ensures its integrity. Then it makes no sense for me for pastors to be chasing people down and saying, "Hey, why aren't you here? Hey, do you want to come do a tour? Do you want to come meet some people?" Like, I'll do that. I'll do that for friends that I already love. But to imagine that a pastor is going to try and be that connector when the pastor should be leading. It seems to me that people expect pastors to do everything. Sure. So yeah. if if a local church wants to have lay people appointed to figuring that out and doing evangelism, great. But if we imagine that the the pastor is going to be chasing people down who've made vows but they're not making good on them, that's just demoralizing for pastors who are going to be regularly dealing with lukewarm people. I, I mean, I guess if you're like trying to do it more, like if like I said, if you're doing it, throwing it, throwing it out there once, just saying, hey, see you're here. Just give them the information about the church. That's one thing. But if you're like chasing them down constantly every week, hey, what's up? What's going on? Then yeah, ideally, ideally you would have lay people that do that. But we've gotten to this this expert uh, mentality where the pastor does everything, and we've, you know we've got experts that do it. We, we were talking about that the other day. I don't I don't remember what it was about specifically. Me and you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm I'm big against experts, but what? Yeah, well, I'm I'm just saying like we've got okay, we we pay the pastor. He's going to doing this stuff. This is his job. Make him do it. Whenever yeah. you've got like lay people that yeah. should be yeah. stepping up and doing something. So. I think it was in this segment last week. Yeah. Was it? Okay. But maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I talked to a lot of people, TJ. Anyways. So, but yeah, I I think I think this I think this is a theological issue. I, I think members the directionality of membership has to be directed upwards. And it's not that the top isn't, uh, people at the top never care about people at the bottom, but it's if the people at the top are doing their job, the people at the bottom should be happy to support and show up and follow. And if people at the top are having to chase people down and say, hey, you're a member, why aren't you here? Or, hey, you know, what can we do to help get you in the doors? To me, that says that the institution is failing to do what it's supposed to do. The, a global Methodist church should be an entity that whenever I move to a new town, I'm going, I got to plug into that church because I'm about what the global Methodist church is about. I got to go introduce myself to that pastor because that pastor has has done what it takes to get acknowledged by this this institution that I'm a, I'm very fond of. But Maybe, I'm... I'm... I, I thought it was a weird thing that all of these people were so obsessed with the UMC, like it was just the church and not just a church. And I just thought it was weird. There was this cult-like uh, loyalty to it that I didn't have for any of the other churches I went to. Mm-hmm. So to think that 
should be the way the GMC operates too is just weird to me. Like, so this, the the phrase I was using was riding the brand, yeah. and that's what this can easily turn into if righteous standards are not maintained, if the covenant is not protected. So yeah, early, people were more worried about like the the branding than what they actually like what the denomination believed and what they were doing. Yeah, we well, so in the United Methodist Church, it was here's all the property that we can say belongs to us. Here's how many churches we say belong to us. Here's how many pastors we have. Here's how big our pension program is. It's about size, and it's just a formality. Like, we're just in the same structure. Early Methodism, whenever it was a a revival movement, it wasn't nearly as formal as what we've got in many ways, but if you were a Methodist preacher, that meant something. That meant that you'd been put through the ringer by John Wesley, and you come out the other side holier and uh, he acknowledged you. It meant something to be acknowledged within a Wesleyan body because there was a certain quality of discipleship that could be assumed. And so when you were dealing with a a Methodist, you knew that that meant you were dealing with somebody who was honest, who was plain and clear, who uh, took the Bible seriously, who had an active relationship with the Lord and an active community of faith they were reporting to. That should mean something. That's what Methodism could be, again, and that's... uh, would what would make sense out of this language. But if we're not doing something that to be a global Methodist means something, then at a certain point it becomes kind of silly. I got to a place with the United Methodist Church where I just knew that I couldn't rely on other United Methodist churches or their pastors bringing anyone closer to Jesus. So I would I would say, you know, go check out the local United Methodist Church. It might be good, but check out many churches and see how much they read the Bible in worship. See how many midweek opportunities they have for growth and discipleship. And, you know, if you pick one outside of the UMC, I'm okay with that because a lot of UMCs are going to, you know, lead you astray. Right, right. Unfortunate. Well, it, Hopefully the GMC doesn't turn into that. Right, yeah. That's the thing that the GMC needs to be reflecting on right now is yeah. are we going to recreate that dynamic in the UMC? And it has everything to do with membership. Right. Okay. So how strict can they be? Right. Okay. 333? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Transfer to other global Methodist churches. <clears throat> when a pastor receives a request for transfer of membership to another global Methodist congregation, that pastor shall send the proper notification directly to the pastor of the congregation to which the member is transferring. Or if there is no pastor, the presiding elder, district superintendent. On receipt... Um, where am I at? Of such notification? Yeah, on receipt of such notification, the pastor or presiding elder district superintendent shall enroll the name of the person so transferring after public reception in a regular worship service, service worship, or if circumstances demand public announcement in such a service. And the pastor of the sending church shall then be notified to remove the member from the role. <laughs> it's, is there anything? There's nothing. <laughs> I don't think there's any deep going, theology yeah, here. No. I think it's just like pastors and churches need to communicate so right. that we're all keeping accurate roles. I've got a member that's moving to your church. Here's their information. Make sure they stand up or make sure they have some kind of professional face acknowledgement and then mm-hmm. take them off your roles. Yeah, yeah. So, well, okay, so the theological thing behind this actually would be connectionalism because right. global Methodist pastors should know each other should be regularly communicating with each other. It should be like an alley-oop with members. It's not like 
you're moving to another town, so you're dead to me, and I don't know anything about that pastor, so good luck. It's, oh, I know that pastor, I respect that pastor, I'm going to connect with uh, that pastor around you, and I expect you to go to their church, and we'll we'll document the transfer, and uh, if you're not doing that... Yeah, so the underlying thing is you, the pastors, you should all know each other and be... Like yes. communicating regularly, not just an annual conference. Like yes. it seemed to be at the UMC. It was like, oh, it's our once a year reunion, and it's good to see you because I right. haven't talked to you in a year, kind of yes. thing. It was absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. if you haven't seen it, I have a series called Bitter Medicine where I fault many pastors for failing at connectionalism in the UMC and warning them that if we fail in the GMC, it's going to be bad. So, yeah, that was deeper than I thought. Okay, go. I'll do three thirty four. Transfer to other denominations. A pastor, upon receiving a request from a member to transfer to a church of another denomination, boo, or upon receiving such requests from a pantser, <laughs> panther, <Answer. laughs> a pastor, or duly authorized official of another denomination, shall, with the approval of the member, issue notification of transfer, and upon receiving confirmation of the member's reception into another congregation, shall properly record the transfer of such person on the membership record of the local church. If a pastor is informed that a member has without notice united with the church of another denomination, the pastor shall make diligent inquiry, and if the report is confirmed, shall enter transferred to a church of another denomination after the person's name on the membership roll, and shall report the same to the next charge conference. Also simple. I don't see anything crazy about that. Like where where it got kind of hairy friends. in the UMC was what does it mean when they've joined another what what was the language that they have um, united with a church of another denomination? What is what does that mean to you? Not does it mean that they've said membership vows? Does that mean that they have attended there a few times? But yeah, we cleaned the membership role by identifying how many people have been worshiping habitually at another place and then saying, yeah. well, they've united. They're not a member here anymore. I, I would say I think that's a, that's a fair, like if they've been going to this congregation and not yours for, I'd say give them four weeks. If they've been going for four weeks and haven't been there for a month um, and there's no obvious like, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of an obvious reason why they would need to go four weeks in a row. But um, I mean, most most churches are not going to have like a formal uh, transfer of membership thing. Other denominations, like if they've got any kind of membership list at all. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, this is this is from a bygone era of mainline denominations all yeah. politely trading their trading cards. You know, this this non denominational thing just interrupted all of this. And um, a lot of uh, Methodist pastors just threw up their hands and said, okay, we'll be done with it too. The other option is to do it and then just remove anyone. I mean, it, it provided a process for you, but then it uses a vague word. So that's the problem I'm picking on. If, uh, you know, I, I, I like your thing. If they attend another place four weeks in a row, they're gone. Remove them yeah. from the membership. I would say, like, get a hold of them, make sure there's nothing like. It weird going on for whatever reason. I don't I don't know. And after that, yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> all right. All right. I uh I don't if I had to design my own process. Yeah, I guess I would just have a computer. I it's the inter, yeah, I I think 
they want there to be all these interpersonal interactions when something is someone's got their nose out of joint. They like imagining that a pastor is going to show up and, hey, what's wrong, buddy? I hear you're going somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. What, what, what needs to happen? You know. Yeah. And that's this whole beggarly thing again. I just do you I want, want a, a computer new that's just like. Service? Are we not doing good? Like, you want a different song on Sunday? What do you want? Yeah, it's this we'll very consumer your, we'll sing oriented. The song you want. Yeah. yeah, I just I don't I don't like that. I just think if they haven't been around, take them off. I don't yeah. care about a specific four weeks, two months, uh, a year. But it's just uh, if someone is obviously not fulfilling their membership vows, you can either chase them down because they're an unhappy consumer, or you can just say, hey. They're an adult. They don't want to be tied to us. Right. Fine. We'll take them off. You're an American. Do what you want. Yeah. Within reason. Um, yeah, if you want to go to another church, like, go to another church. Yeah. No, the dysfunction is when they want to go to another church but maintain their membership yeah, here. And I've talked to people. I mean, I, here's why I'm so reluctant to do what it's telling me to. I've talked to people who are like, uh, no, don't take me off the membership role, but I'm not going to come to church. And I'm just going, Why? <laughs> you can't show this to St. Peter whenever you come in, yeah. and you're not going to like come in, and everybody's going to know you because you're a member. Like what? I, it's it's felt to me like this kind of territorial thing, or also like this um, emotional thing for them, where it's just like I've always been a member there. That's where I punch my card. Yeah, and I think the loving thing to do for them is remove that from them because they've been getting a false comfort from that. They've been taking comfort that they have a church, and I think it's important for the church to say, no, you're not one of ours. If you're yeah. not showing up and contributing, no. Right. If you want to be one of ours, come and fulfill your vows. Yeah, it's fair. Okay. No pushback. All right. All right. Well, let's go on. Uh, paragraph 335, restoration of professing membership. Point one, a person whose name has been removed from professing membership by withdrawal or action by charge conference or trial court may ask to be restored to membership in the local church. Point two, a person whose membership was recorded as having been withdrawn after being a member of another denomination may, when that denomination will not transfer membership, be restored to professing membership by reaffirmation of the membership vows. Point three, a person who has withdrawn at his or her own written request may return to the church and, upon reaffirmation of the membership vows, become a professing member. Point four, a person whose name was removed by charge conference action may return to the church and, at his or her request, be restored to professing membership in the local church through reaffirmation of the membership vows. Point five, a person who withdrew under charges or was removed by a trial court may ask to return to the church upon evidence of a renewed life, approval of the charge conference, and reaffirmation of the membership vows the person may be restored to professing membership. Okay. Yeah, the language is maybe, is not, will be, or yeah. sh shall yeah, it's be. It's up to, I assume, the pastor at that point, because the pastor's in charge of membership. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice if it was explicit about that, but there's previous language that would rightly lead one to conclude that. Yeah. Uh, I guess my question would be if you... Say you were a member since 2000, you decided to leave in 2010, then you left for five years, and you come back in 2015. You're still only a member for 10 years and not 15 at that point? Yeah, I think okay. so, okay. yeah. And we, we have people on our membership list that were members here, and then they moved somewhere else, transferred their membership, and then came back, 
and it restarts. The, the clock restarts when oh, they come back. Yeah. Okay. So they would be just a member for that long, and the previous membership wouldn't really count. They would still be a member of the G, assuming they went to a GMC church or yeah. affiliated church. They would still be a member of. Yeah. The, uh, so I guess there would be membership in the denomination in general, and yes. then a membership of the church. So there's yeah. two separate memberships, technically. And it doesn't really say. Well, no, it's more like they're synonymous. You know, like. Um, Okay, so they would. I'm, be an, I'm an American citizen, and I'm a citizen of the state of Oklahoma. Sure, but if I'm, but a, I don't have two citizenships, you know. Right, but we're going off of. How would you? How would you keep the records at that point? Like, are you? I I, I don't know. Like in my head, that's not. Well, there's there's not going to be a central resource of the GMC that here are all our members. You know, here's sure, their names. Yeah. The local churches will keep those those records, but for every member of a local church, they will also be considered a member of the Global Methodist Church. Right, but if they move to another Global Methodist Church, yeah. in a completely different, just another Global Methodist Church. Yeah. yeah. Their membership stays the same. You're a member for this long. Yeah, you can say, this guy's been a member of the Global Methodist Church since he joined in this other town at this other church. He's been a Global Methodist this whole time. He's been a member of this church since he moved here at this time. See, and I don't think... Do we keep separate records of that? Separate records of... Like, whether you're... What denomination, as opposed to, like, the specific... Our specific church. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at that spreadsheet that I had. Well, and the the individual sheet, it notes what denomination they came from, what what church and where. Right. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Rabbit hole. Sort of. I mean, and, I mean, I I can't tell you how glad I've been that I've kept these records at several different points along the line. It just makes you feel like an actual pastor when you actually know things about these people <laughs> and you're not going, I don't know. So, I mean, it it really feels I you feel like a charlatan when you're supposedly somebody's pastor. And somebody's asking you questions about him, and you're like, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't yeah, you ask him? And they're like, I'm I'm not his pastor, you know. So um So we're at an hour. Yeah, we are. And we, and we just a finished section. a section. Yeah, so, so I say next week we begin on section seven, organization and administration. Yeah. So um yeah, I know we didn't cover much ground. I know for people watching along this, you might go, Man, this is never gonna end. It's whew, yeah, we got a lot to go. It, we got a lot to go. I think it's worth it. You know, even if you're not real committed to the GMC, I, I think it's helpful to just know what it's put in writing. And then next year at the convening conference, if there's a lot of this stuff that we're just not going to maintain, then I, I want to be part of an effort to remove it because I just don't see the point of having it in writing. But if we are going to have it in writing, then I'd like a movement to like reclaim the structure. You know, the discipline is what it's... Uh, you know, John Wesley said, I, I'm going to butcher it, I do not fear a time when there should cease to be a people called Methodist. I fear only that there should be a time where they are a dead sect claiming neither uh, the former power of righteousness. But And that will surely happen unless they maintain the doctrine and the discipline and spirit with which they first set out. So we've talked about doctrine. Everybody's on board with doctrine, but it's the discipline portion that a lot of people have a problem with. We live in an era where people can't even be bothered to put on real pants whenever they go out the door. People hate formality and structure and discipline. We we live in a very undisciplined age, and I think it would be to our benefit to try and reclaim discipline. 
And a big part of that would be knowing what's in the book of doctrines and discipline and um, doing doing what's in there. So any any closing reflections from TJ? No, I think that's good. Let's uh, wrap this up. Okay. Well, this is the wrap-up portion and uh, where we remind you that you can share this with other people, that you can share your thoughts with us either by commenting or by sending us an email at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. You can also support this if you think that this is a good effort for the Global Methodist Church uh, constituent members like us and like you, then you can support us at plainspoken.locals.com. I'll try and remember to put a tag for that at the, the close of this video segment. Um, this has been fun. I hope I hope if you've actually enjoyed this with us that you won't feel ashamed being a nerd and promoting this stuff amongst your fellow lay people and clergy saying, hey, we should probably know what this is about and we should probably think through it some. So enjoy using that brain and uh, go to worship this Sunday. I'll see you later.